Field from The Professor is in. Welcome to the new version of our podcast. We are recording our podcast live on Wednesday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you subscribe to The Professor is in newsletter to be sure and get that link if you'd like to join us live. Or you can listen to the edited version in the podcast form the following Tuesday. If you'd like to support the live or the podcast, you can head over to bit.ly slash ourpod, B-I-T dot L-Y slash O-U-R-P-O-D and help support these ongoing programs. Thanks a lot. We look forward to hearing from you. All right. So today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about perfectionism. We're going to talk about how to think about it. We're going to talk about techniques for dealing with it. And then we're going to do a Q&A at the end. So that's the goal. So go ahead and use the little raise your hand thing. How many of you feel like you get hooked by perfectionism? Then the numbers are going up to probably to the level of people who are attending, but all right. So here's my next question. How many of you have had perfectionism keep you from accomplishing something? How many of you have missed a deadline, missed an opportunity, um, not gotten something because you needed it to be perfect? Good chunk, good chunk of people, right? Okay. So that sort of leads to the beginning of the conversation about perfectionism, because one of the, the, one of the lies about perfectionism is that it is, we think of it as um, self-care, right? So we have a project or a thing or something that we wanna do, and we start working on it and then we get caught in the loop of perfectionism often because we're trying to protect ourselves from critique. So go ahead and put in the chat, what is the reason in your head when you start obsessing about whether something is perfect or not? What is the motivator behind that? What is the justification that you're making to, for that to happen? So. A lot of times the justification is, right, that I um, fear. Somebody already said that. One of the justifications is, is fear. I'm afraid. Okay. I think it's heading off potential critique. I don't want to embarrass myself, right? I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to be humiliated, right? Um, I don't want to be attacked by my discipline because that some of these disciplines, whoo, right? Um, so they'll discover that I'm a fraud. That's one of the, the best ones. It's like, I have to do this because they're gonna find out that I don't belong here, right? I don't want people to think I'm stupid, not good enough. Fear of failure and fear of success, right? So the heading off, so let's look at some of these. We keep working on something because we want to head off critique. 
Well, first of all, let me just get back to my original point. The original point being, and you can see by all the examples, I do this to try to take care of myself. I'm a perfectionist to care for myself, to protect myself, to make sure that something bad isn't going to happen to me, right? So at some point, we learned that there's a way that I can avoid critique. But under that, we also taught ourselves that critique is dangerous. That critique is a bad thing, right? I have to keep people from finding out I'm not perfect. All right. Now let's just bracket that for a second and let's go over here to graduate school. So for those of you in graduate school or those of you who were in graduate school, right? You undoubtedly were in a class in which you critiqued a scholar's work, right? Show of hands. You, and if it's not all people attending, then I know you're making up stories because you were in a class at one point that you were taking the major theorists, right? You were taking the major, the major work and you were critiquing it, right? I don't agree with this theory. What's the shortcoming of this theory? In fact, you watched it happen if you were doing theory work in your discipline, you watched the development of theory over time. You watched the de development of methods over time, right? And you, what is the way that you proved that you were the super smart kid in graduate school? You found the mistake. I'm gonna go find the mistake. And I'm gonna tell you, this is the flaw in so-and-so's thinking. This is, this is how this is rooted in this. This is how this is, this is wrong, right? So you have this whole training in finding what's wrong, all right? I have sat in classroom after classroom, I'm being all of us right now, where somebody's work has been critiqued. I have sat in gatherings of my fellow grad students and heard them critique other people's thinking. I've heard people be snarky about something they heard in class. I've heard all of that stuff, right? Because what's the way that you're super smart in the academy? You tear down somebody else. You can do it effectively and intelligently, or you can do it being an asshole. And there are far too many assholes. So here we go, right? This, this example right here, I once saw a professor dismantle an entire argument of a major theorist by hyper-focusing on a single word that the theorist had used. So you've been sitting in a space that is teaching you be perfect or somebody's gonna find something wrong with what you're doing. So here's the first challenge that I'm going to make to have you rethink a little bit. That's critique is the, the industry you joined, right? You joined an industry because academia is an industry. You joined an industry that is based in critique of ideas. So to be in it is to be critiqued. So one of the first interventions we can make in perfectionism is to begin to accept that critique is what you want. I don't want to spend every single minute making this perfect because I'm absolutely going to get critique and I would rather just put it out there, get the critique and make it better than 
trying to defend yourself against critique. But I will tell you that somewhere in that graduate school experience and maybe earlier in your life, you have some moment that's like, that was so painful. That was so embarrassing. That was so awful. I never want to do that again, right? I never want to be that humiliated again. I have a couple of them. I have one of them from high school that it's just like, wow. I, I carry it with me to this day. I do not want people to think I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Right. The thing is, and that then feeds like I have to do this, I have to do this, so I never feel like this again. So perfectionism is based in avoiding a pain, a hurt. You, you guys named it, right? I don't the critique, the humiliation, the embarrassment. That is all contained in the idea that making a mistake not getting something right, not being having it all figured out is embarrassing instead of human. It's humiliating instead of human. That feeling is shaped by some experience typically that humiliated us, right? Our job is to unpack that over and over again and say, it's not humiliating to make a mistake. It's actually brave because I was out there, right? You're in the arena, you're doing things, you're making mistakes. So that's the first thing is I just want you to sort of twist like, like, do a hard shift on the idea of the outcome that you're worrying about being a bad thing. So that's your first intervention in perfectionism is to, to actually train yourself to welcome critique, welcome feedback. It's not a reflection of you. It's, it's something about your work. Your work is not you. Like resist the capitalist idea that you are your work. And instead, this is a work product. I'm gonna put this out here, I'm gonna get feedback. So that's your first intervention. Critique is what we want. Feedback, we want to have somebody tell us we screwed it up. We don't wanna go out there and have people lying to us because that sucks and we can't trust people's feedback. So I'd rather somebody say, yeah, you missed the boat on that. I'd rather like go, ooh, I did. I gotta fix that. Then never get it out there in the first place, right? The other thing about perfectionism is perfectionism is a systemic problem. And somebody mentioned it about the academy being um, sort of the, it sort of written into the academy. It's written into white supremacy, right? The idea that you have to be perfect, that things have to be perfect is a white supremacist idea. So if it's, if it's like not quite reachable for you to think about, I'm not going to... I'm not going to succumb to this because it doesn't help me. Perhaps for a lot of people looking at the systemic issue can help you make the individual choice. So if you want to make a big intervention in white supremacy and in your own anti-racist thinking, one of the things that you can start to do is dismantle what perfect is and start to challenge who wrote the rules about what perfect is. And why is it expected that we should all know it and do it right the first way and the first time, the first one way and the first time, sorry, right? So asking yourself, wait one damn minute here, wait one damn minute. I'm not finishing this because I'm worried about the critique. I have in my head, somebody who's gonna critique me because I'm gonna have that professor who dismantled that theorist. I'm gonna have this person, I've got it in my head who's critiquing me. They have decided that this has to be perfect or I don't fit fuck you very much. I am dismantling this whole idea of that there's such a thing as perfect 
that there's a right way to do things or it's just not us all learning to do it a way that's legible for this industry, right? So that's what you're trying to do. I need to figure out how to make this legible for this industry, right? So those are the two places that we can intervene. We can start to say, we can start to work on welcoming critique. Every time we think about critique, actually thinking, how can I befriend you? How can I love you? How can I how draw you close instead of trying to shove you away? And also, how can I not capitulate to a system that is demanding that I be perfect? And that's demanding that I be perfect to maintain a supremacy of whiteness that has been de decided what perfect is, right? So that's, those are the first two, how to tackle it, right? How do I do it? Like, okay, great, Kel, that's awesome. Now I know, like, do this and do this. But like, what do I do when I'm just not um, finishing something, right? What do I do? One of the most effective interventions I have found in perfectionism is a question, right? So you're going along. Now, let me just intervene here really quickly or interrupt myself here really quickly. This tactic requires awareness and awareness requires that you start paying attention to your behaviors and you start paying attention to your behaviors or your thinking without judgment of it, right? So like so many things, perfectionism has now been turned into a dirty word, right? Like, oh, you're such a perfectionist. Let's stop critiquing our behavior and instead just noticing our behavior. So there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with any like perfectionism. It just doesn't serve you. So the first thing we have to do is we have to figure out, notice that it's happening. So the first thing that you wanna start doing is you wanna start working on your, doing your work and setting aside a very concrete task to do. Like I'm gonna spend this time doing this task. And then notice when you leave that task and start trying to perfect that outcome, right? There's a difference between, okay, I'm gonna write this first paragraph, this next paragraph in my introduction, looking at this. That's your goal, great. Let's write the next paragraph, putting it in your goal. That's my goal. Now, when does it shift from, I'm gonna write this paragraph to I'm gonna perfect this paragraph? Oh, I have to pick the exact right word. Oh, I have to go back and rewrite that and rewrite that and rewrite that. No, that's perfectionism. And it's also editing, not writing. What's my goal? My goal is to get a full paragraph, not a full perfect paragraph. So we have to notice when we start to do it. So do you now know, do you feel like you know, oh, I know my behavior when I start to be perfectionist. Do you know what it is? Show me a show of hands, comments. What, how do you know? If you have comments, you can say, like, how do you know that you've shifted gears from production to perfection? Paralysis, right? Procrastination, one sentence, right? So we have this, um, we have this like, I have a thing that happens. I know what it is. I know what it is, right? So what do we do when that happens? We tend to, with perfectionism, we tend to double down, right? So I'm really not happy with this. I'm going to go gather more information. I'm really not happy with this. I'm going to rewrite this sentence. I've lost my goal. 
right? The, somebody mentioned this already, but I got to get one more reference. Oh my Lord. It is, the, it is like the red flag of perfectionism. This is not good enough. I've got to make it. I've got to fix it. I've got to fix it. And the only way to fix it is to gather more information because information is my drug. And that's just going to keep me calm. I'm going to go gather more sources to calm down my fear that this is not good enough. At that moment that we see that question that, that arise, that's when we begin to, to do the questions. We begin to say, okay, what's the statement you're making right there, right? If, you, if we were working together and you were saying, you know, I need to get more information. My question would be, why do you think you need more information? Why do you think you need more information, right? Why do you think you need to rearrange it? So somebody said, you know, editing the first sentence over and over again, over again, whoever said that, what's the, um, what's the thing? Why, why, why do you have to write the sentence over and over again? What's your justification for that? For those of you who rewrite, if it's more information, why do you need, what is the story that you're telling about why you need, right? I kind of be accused of sloppiness. I don't sound smart enough. I'll sound stupid if I phrase it this way. All right. Why does that make you go back? Okay, okay, okay. I was rewriting the sentence. I'm writing the sentence. My brain tells me that might sound stupid. So I have to go back and write. Rewrite it so I don't sound stupid. Why are you not allowed to sound stupid? Why are you, why are you not allowed? Right? Why are you not allowed to write it this way? Because somebody might misjudge me because somebody might think I'm this, because somebody might think I'm that, because this is the big leagues and they'll realize I don't belong here if I sound stupid. They will realize I don't belong here, all right? And, okay, let's just take that one. It's the big leagues, man. And they'll realize I don't belong here if I, if I sound stupid. And what will happen? What will happen? The article won't get published. All right, let's let's just let's check perception. Now, after we do that question and we get an outcome, then we check perception. How many articles have you read? How many articles have you read published in journals that you think, wow, this isn't very well written? Wow, wow, this is a, some convoluted logic. Wow, I wouldn't have chosen that word, right? A lot, look at you with your so many, so many not great articles out there. All right, so here you are saying, I might have an error, a little error. They're gonna think I'm stupid and not publish me. Do you have evidence to support that 
that errors lead to thinking people are stupid and not publishing, right? No, you have plenty of evidence that people do average work and they get published, right? <laughs> I love that, Mary. If I got it, wait, I got it, it went by too fast. Um, if I got a dollar for every time a major scholar messed up a footnote, I'd be doing backstroke in Scrooge McDuck pile of money. Absolutely. So you're over here holding yourself to a different standard than the published authors in your field because someone somewhere back here is this moment in which you fucked up, you made a small mistake and got embarrassed about it and you don't want to feel that way again. To the point that you're stopping yourself from success and progress, right? You're stopping yourself, even though all these other people in your field are doing the same mistakes that you're talking about, right? But you have to notice that you've started that process so that you can bring that beautiful big brain of yours in there with evidence to say, of course, it's not gonna be perfect. I read a ton of stuff that's not perfect. I'm just gonna move on. Is this going to move me closer to being published? I have been an editor for more than 30 years. And I can tell you that I've never seen something not published because of a word choice. I mean, barring egregious bullshit, but I mean, the verb, did I pick the right verb? Is this the right modifier? No. Stuff doesn't get published because it doesn't have an original argument. That's why it doesn't get published. It doesn't have an original point to make. The methodology doesn't support the, the assertion. Like it's an actual functional problem, not the writing quality, because there's a lot of bad writing quality and bad writing quality can be fixed, right? That's what editors are for. So your job for perfectionism, right? Your job is to notice that, the, that it is clicked in, notice that because it's clicked in, you've started to capitulate to a falsehood and then that capitulating to a falsehood has led you to behavior that's, that are keeping you out of the arena. So they're succeeding in keeping you out of the arena. Somebody said way back in the thread that women are much more susceptible to this than men are. And I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's absolutely true because of that sense of you're not really supposed to be in this arena. So we're gonna hold the standards higher. And that, that and somebody mentions it, right? Hunter mentions it right here. Sometimes I feel people are allowed to not be perfect, but I'm not. I will absolutely agree with you that some people are allowed get away with more shit than you're gonna get away with. People are held to different standards based on that same white supremacist bullshit I was just talking about, misogyny, you name it. But it also successfully uses that knowledge and that pressure to say, we're gonna keep you out of here by keeping you distracted with figuring out how to do it perfectly the way we want it, right? instead of the much more systemic or systematic, sorry, studying of a journal article or a book publisher and saying, how is this done? And how am I gonna mimic this, right? Instead of I've got to make the sentence perfect, it's I've got to learn the model and structure 
of this thing. So I can mimic this so I can speak the language that you need me to speak. Because I am able to speak on multiple levels. You clearly are no, only able to hear on one. So let me make it simple for you. So what if you shifted your thinking from, oh my God, I've got to make it perfect. So I'll be accepted to, I have to figure out what you want so I can meet that goal so I can move along because you're my barrier, right? That puts it on the system that's, in, that's at play rather than on you. But I do agree that people, there are different levels of tolerance. And I think the more senior you get, the more bullshit they let you get away with. Let's know that about it. There was a question back here that I want to get to, a thing that I want to get to now that I've sort of looped around on that, about the idea of wanting to give our work, wanting to give our work. Oh. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about perfectionism as a version of trying to do justice to your work? If we say we're working to intervene in racist or transphobic ableist discourse and then being afraid of doing harm. I absolutely think that that is something at play for a lot of people. I want to not fuck up. I want to not do something that I get called out for. And so if you are doing work that pushes at social justice issues, you're going to fuck up. And, and trying to avoid fucking up is still that sense of like you're centering your experience. Um, Instead of knowing if you're out there pushing the edges of things, you're going to screw up. You're going to get it wrong. No, and, and, and it's really, really hard to think about, look, if I'm going to step into this arena and I'm going to push on things that are, that are, I'm new at, right? I'm new at, at rethinking my position in this way or that, or bringing these issues to the foreground and I'm going to think I'm doing it right and I'm going to do it wrong and people are going to get pissed at me. And that's not the issue. The issue is how you respond to it, right? Because we're going to screw up. So I do think that perfectionism can come in there as we're trying to like make sure we understand all of the things. And it's no different than I want more sources, right? I need to understand all of the things so nobody catches me out missing something not possible we're gonna get caught out we're gonna miss things we're gonna not have read a source and i you know it will suck forever that the academy is a place that doesn't just say hey you know what you might want to read so and so first instead they it's the oh you haven't read did you not even know i can't believe you didn't realize right So that's the kind of shaming bullshit that happens to the academy that creates this sort of thing, right? Right? So that's the thing is that that's the system at play. You don't have to capitulate to that system. You don't have to do, you don't have to like agree, I'm gonna run around and scramble around to try to make sure that you accept me and what I do. And I'm gonna do that by never making a mistake and I can't never make a mistake. So then I'm not going to submit it because I don't want to be caught out. You see how they win in the end, right? It, it all ends up being a thing that keeps voices out. So 
this is a great, there's a question that just came up and this is great because we're going to switch to the next 15 minutes of sort of Q&A. So I hope that that's helpful. I hope that it gives you some things to hang on to and wrestle with. This is hard stuff. It's hard. Perfectionism is hard because it is so deeply woven into a white supremacist culture. It's so deeply woven, woven into capitalism. It's this idea that if you don't get it right, you can't join. And so for folks who are um, first gen, who are who have no other people around who can say, yeah, that's pretty normal. And the, and the myth-making and lying and flexing that goes on within the system that people don't talk about their struggle. They don't talk about how hard it is. They don't talk about what they're not writing, right? You don't get to hear people say, man, I didn't write all week because I was so hung up with getting it wrong. Wouldn't that be freeing, right? To have somebody just say them. Somebody asks a question, once you've been shamed in one of these, on one of these counts professionally, how do you recover and come back from them? The most important thing that I remember is that shame is a control mechanism. If you are attempting to shame me, you are attempting to control me. If you wanna give me feedback, that's not trying to control me, that's in an equal relationship with me and we're gonna equally respect each other. And you're gonna say, hey, this is not, this is not a good thing. How about this or this? But then you have shaming me. And that means you're trying to control me. And that means it's on you, not me. And my work is to expose that shame, give it as much air as humanly possible. So basically you think it was like lancing something and emptying it and exposing it to air and cleaning it up. So somebody's shamed you, somebody does whatever. First thing is, is sometimes we have a reaction to shame because we know we did it, right? We know we fucked up. And we don't want to admit we fucked up. So the first thing is, if I screwed up, I screwed up. Yep, I screwed up. Yep, I got that wrong. Yep, I did. Uh huh. So you take away the power in some ways by telling people, oh yeah, I see that, thanks. Right? How could you have done blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah, good point, thank you. Right? We take away the power when we take away the name calling. We also take away the power when we talk about it to other people. When we say, oh man, this thing happened. Here, I'll tell you my thing I was talking about in high school. When I was in high school, my mother, my mother listened to classical music the whole time I was growing up. Neither of my parents have a college degree. Very, very working class slash poor backgrounds. Um, really not exposed to much intellectual stuff at all. Both very thoughtful intellectual people, but they early in their lives didn't have that. But my mom was very big on classical music. So take us to all sorts of classical music concerts. And one of the things that she listened to all the time at home was Chopin, um, spelled, for those of you who don't know, C-H-O-P-I-N. And so I was in high school and I was talking to a teacher and a group of students after class and we were talking about music. And I said, oh, my, one of my favorites is Chopin because I had never heard it pronounced. I'd only read it. And of course, everybody had a field day with that, right? And just like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? And, and it was high school. So everybody's going to, you know, come at you a little bit. And even the teacher was like, well, this is not how you say it. So, but it was horribly embarrassing because I thought I was all that, right? I was talking about classical music. First of all, I was falling into this whole Western whatever thing about like, this is really, this is the high art we should be talking about. But it was horrible. 
So I definitely have a propensity to be hyper aware of whether I know things or don't know things. One of the ways that I protect against that is we do, we talk publicly a lot. We talk a lot on podcasts. We talk on these things. I mispronounce things all the time, especially like um, academic words. And I sometimes just do it with abandon. I'm like, yeah, I don't really know how you say this, right? But you know, whatever. I've heard it say all this different way, whatever way you say it, this is what I want to try to talk about. Cause I want to just like destigmatize not knowing something. So the way that you heal shame is expose shame. You expose it to air and say, yeah, I fucked this thing up. <laughs> oh my God. Right. I messed this up. So this was embarrassing. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I didn't do it. I did not. I had not ever read whoever or whoever. Right. No, I hadn't read that article by pick, an art, pick a scholar. Thank you so much. Or go to a friend and say, oh my God, I did this thing. And it was so embarrassing. I cannot believe I did it. And you tell people who will say, oh, wow, honey, I'm so sorry. Not the people who go, how did you not know how to pronounce Chopin? How did you not know how to pronounce like hegemony. Hegemony, do you know how many ways I've heard that word pronounced by people from all over the world? But somebody's gonna tell you how we have to say it. So, and there is a probably a correct pronunciation, but who the fuck cares? You all know what I mean. If somebody says to you hegemony or hegemony or hegemony or whatever the fuck they say, you know what they mean. So if you're trying to shame them, you're just trying to control them because you think there's a way things should be done. And there's a way to tell somebody, hey, the pronunciation of this is this without humiliating me. I'm using pronunciation as an example, probably for that, right? I mean, not probably, but based on my own experience, <laughs> hegemonic pronunciation of hegemony, right? Every time I see words like that, I'm like, fuck, oh, I hope I know how to say that correctly. Even after all these years, that's the way we deal with shape. We expose it. I was really embarrassed that I did this. Every time I tell that story, the music story, it's a way for me to move it from a shame thing to just a, yeah, that happened, right? Yeah, that happened. It was embarrassing and it was embarrassing. And part of the reason it was embarrassing is because man, I, I said the thing I said, because I was feeling like all that, right? Because I listened to that kind of music. So I got a double whammy of thinking I'm all that and right this, oh my gosh, keeping secrets as a part of perfectionism, I realized, yeah? right? I'm not going to tell you. I mean, how many people like put on, go do a panel or do this and it doesn't go well. And how many people come back and say, oh my God, did I screw up at that panel? And we, and if we do, we say it to the wrong people and the people who just want to embarrass and shame us for it. Right. All right. So any other questions, any other thoughts? This, this um, comment thread is just outstanding, by the way. Thank you so much. I really love when people are in conversation with each other. So make sure that you've checked through the comment thread. Somebody has something over in the Q&A, so I have to go look at that because I never look at that part. Um, um, so somebody said, can I speak to the idea of paralysis or stuckness that some of us named above that feels different to me than perseverating over words, finding all the sources. It feels like a related, but a different stress response. I freeze. 
absolutely that freeze thing is another is just a different version is not just i'm trying to eliminate just because it always sounds somewhat diminishing but it's a version of overdoing right so if we have fight flight freeze or fawn for those people who come from trauma backgrounds there's also this tendency to fawn over people as a protective mechanism when they're scared so fight i will forever claim that the academic version of fighting is more words it's just like i'm just going to throw words at you as, as a as a defense right i'm going to fight i'm going to go in there and rewrite that and rewrite freeze is just another response to the fear thing so i cannot work i'm stuck i cannot move forward right so if you go back and do those questions why do you think you got stuck? That's the first thing. So we, when we get stuck, we don't go back and tenderly ask, why did I get stuck? Why did I get stuck? Because I think I'm going to get it wrong. Okay, well, why did that stop you? Well, because I might be wrong. And people might point it out. And I'd be humiliated and embarrassed. And that sucks. And like the way that feels. So you stopped writing out of a fear of embarrassment. I stopped writing because I was afraid I'd be embarrassed. Now I can deal with that. Okay. I stopped writing because I feel like in the future I might be embarrassed. Am I gonna be embarrassed in this moment? If I write this sentence, is anybody looking to embarrass me? No, oh, I see. I'm operating in the future. I'm not even actually in this article anymore. I'm not actually here writing. I'm in a conversation with somebody out of the future. And I usually have about three people I love to be in conversation with and they're not even here. They may not even read it. But I can write this sentence right now with no fear of embarrassment, zero fear of embarrassment in this moment. In this moment, I could write, Scrooge McDuck has a lot of money in the middle of my article. What's the outcome? Zero. Might get a good laugh. So what we do when we freeze is we do the same thing that we do for all those other ones. Stop. Why am I doing this? Because this. Because I might be wrong. And? That's embarrassing. And? I like feeling embarrassed. All right. So you stopped because you don't want future embarrassment. How about if we deal with right now? Right. See the, see the path there? I would love any suggestions of how to break out of the cycle of X needs to be better. Spend too long working on X. Now I've taken longer than I thought. Missed a deadline of X needs to be better to excuse the missed deadline. Um, the X needs to be better is a lie. So the first thing to do is challenge X needs to be better. First of all, number one, what does better, the first thing I would do with that is X needs to be better is I would sit down and I would write a list of better equals. What does better equal? What does better mean? And that whole idea, there's a little comment here, once, once it's past the deadline, it feels like it needs to exceed expectations. No, it doesn't. 
That's another that's another myth you're making up to try to make up for the fact that you screwed up. You missed the deadline. Accept the fact you missed the deadline. Send the work in. Send where it is. Send whatever. Just get it going, right? But let's go back to this. The X needs to be better. What does better mean? First of all, have a very concrete definition of what better means, right? I need to proofread it. I need to tie this argument to this argument. What does better mean? You have to know what that is or you will stay in an endless loop of chasing something you don't even know what it is. The other thing is you have to do the hard work of setting a deadline and then sending whatever's there at the deadline. You just send whatever's there because what your system has learned is if I send this, I'll die. I'll die, right? You've trained in this embarrassment or this fear of failure to the extent that your system just says, I'm terrified. Well, this is deadly. This is deadly. Don't do it. It's deadly. And what you're going to do is send it in and realize, lo and behold, it wasn't deadly. Maybe it was embarrassing. Maybe it wasn't what I wanted, but it didn't kill me. Right now it's wired in that it's going to kill you. And I know that sounds overly dramatic, but fear mechanisms are stupid, right? That amygdala part of our brain is dumb. And it just goes, fear, deadly, ah, right? So we want to bring ourselves into our frontal lobe and language and say, huh, you wilding out amygdala, what does better mean? What do you think is going to happen if I turn this in? We're going to die. Okay, we're not. We can handle whatever's going to come, right? So that's what we're, that's what we're looking at. Ideas for training my students in a more effective way so they don't fall into the same trap down the road. Do drafts, public drafts that are workshopped and with a culture of productive critique. So let students get things wrong with people in ways that they get effective critique and have a chance to correct it. So this doesn't work. I don't understand what you're saying. This isn't clear. None of those are helpful critique. That is not constructive critique. Critique. And then you can also teach your students crit constructive critique at the same time, right? Um, so, all right, let me look at a couple other things really fast because we're over time. Um, but, oh, I love this idea. So if you guys do everyone, everybody can read your things, but if it just says to panelist and host, only I can read it. So I'm gonna assume that you are doing it and Rose nailed it with the state, what you're doing out loud, because that, that thing I was just talking about is moving from your amygdala, which has no language into language, moves to your frontal lobe and it allows you to solve the problem. When you're just reacting back here, this thing has no language. It just knows to run or to panic or to shut down, right? This fear-based stuff, that, there's a comment here about the book proposal. And if it's not amazing, it'll get tossed aside before the editor even gets the meat of it. No, it won't. Not if it follows a standard book proposal thing and tells them exactly what the takeaway is, right? Um, and I don't think you only get five minutes of their attention. And I think we make up stories. We know people are in attention, like overload right now. But no, I don't think it has to be perfect. I think your argument and your contribution have to be unique. 
and your writing needs to be solid enough that they know that they can work with you, right? Um, I'm not so much worried about being embarrassed by others, but by disappointing myself. And the thing that I would say about disappointing myself, and I'm speaking for me now, not you, because I don't know you, my expectations of myself are unreasonable. So I persistently disappoint myself because my expectations are unreasonable. And I've learned those un unreasonable expectations from a system that would have me fail. So adjusting my expectations to me, it's the core value of unstuck, tell the truth. Tell the truth about your life and then set your expectations based on that. All right, we have lots of new messages, but we are over time. I wanna tell you one more thing before you go. On Mondays and Thursdays, I'm offering sort of revised versions of writing in the pandemic that I used to do, which I do a tiny bit of coaching at the beginning. And then we do writing sessions all the way through. So if you would like to join those, you can go to the scheduling link. And the other thing is that I'm doing um, individual coaching throughout the summer. If you have an issue that you want to um, do, I mean, that you need to talk about, I do 30 minute and hour long sessions. And then finally, Starting in June, I will start doing a weekly skills-based training for only 10 people at a time. The one on June 2nd, I think it is, is on outlining. Um, so keep an eye on your unstuck email for those or on Mighty Network because they'll come through. But I'll be doing things on much more practical, like how to do this, how to get started on a project, how to do these things that I'm just noticing that people are um, struggling with not being properly prepared by their departments. Okay. So if you have anything that comes up that you want to ask me about, or that you want me to do, post it on Mighty Networks and I will add it to this webinar. And then finally, if you ever want to invite somebody who is not an unstuck, but you want them, you're like an evangelical for unstuck and you want to invite them to one of these webinars, you're more than welcome to do that. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Bye.